0: The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows codes and Dye shrink for 3% off all other codes. Links in the description, and I will say more later. But for now, let's get to the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a computer gaming and hardware podcast. I'm your host, Tom, and I will let my distinguished guest introduce himself.
1: Hello there. Uh, I'm John Petty from John Petty Research. We uh, are specialists, analysts, and uh, researchers in uh, computer graphics. Uh, We chase the pixel. so anything that influences a pixel um, on almost any platform, we have opinions about.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a good way to put it right. If it influences a pixel, you're interested in it.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we can't tell you anything about networks, and we can't tell you anything about operating systems and anything else like that. But if there's a pixel, we can tell you about it.
0: So the way I want to start this podcast is just a little bit about you, if you don't mind, like, you know where are you from? What what did you study? What got you into this? I, like you can do a clip notes version if you want, but I am curious sure. where you come from.
1: Well, uh, there was a meteorite landing from Zonar, and uh, when the okay. shell cracked up, so <laughs> that's, that's what my wife says anyway. Um, started my career as an engineer, so I like to say I used to have an honest job. I was an engineer, and um, what what type or, of engineering? Um, electronics, le- electrical engineering. Ah, okay. I'm mechanical. Go on. And um, got the bug and became a uh, entrepreneur and started a few companies and sold them and started them and sold them and so forth. And um, in 1981, believe it or not, I um, was bought out of the company I had re- most recently started and decided that that would be a perfect time to retire. And my goal was to retire and write science fiction books. Okay. That, last, that lasted almost a month. Uh, and, and the thing that I've heard
0: was, many stories of that, by the way. People retire to write books, and then they realize in a month, man, I got to.
1: <laughs> no, I wanted to do it, but people kept calling me and asking me to help them. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, I, I think I'm in the consulting business. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just kind of grew from there. And then uh, being in the consulting business, we found that writing reports was uh, useful. So we got into the publishing business. So we've been doing publishing and consulting for uh, 30 some years. Uh, Again, all focused on the pixel. I watched a lot of companies come and go and uh, watched a lot of them grow.
0: Yeah. And I've got quite a few questions about that. I mean, that's actually one of my first ones I was going to bring up. I mean, if you look back at the history, you know, just of the Silicon industry in general, you, especially if you go deep down the rabbit hole, you know, I'm a lot, no offense, but I am a lot younger than you, but I can (laughs) read the past. And it's like, wow, there used to be dozens and dozens of chip manufacturers, even just in graphics cards for gaming. And now we're down to, I mean, relative to the past, almost none, frankly. Do you think this could change in the other direction soon? I mean, we have new standards like Risk Five, and, you know, ARMS trying to get into several markets. And, you know, I think, and also to just kind of talk about where I'm coming from, just a stagnation at some silicon nodes do you think there's a real chance for new companies to pop up and compete with the limited players that are left?
1: Uh, short answer is no. Mm
0: -hmm. So you think it's going to stay like three or five?
1: Yeah. Uh, we, we count a total of 11, uh, if you Mm -hmm. include, if you include IP suppliers, um, there's, there's two platforms basically that, um, GPUs get put on, I assume you're talking about GPUs, and that is that uh, it's the PC and it's mobile devices. Um, So, uh, in the mobile devices, you have a few semiconductor manufacturers and a few IP providers. In the PC side, you have uh, three primary semiconductor suppliers. And they provide uh, a couple of different types of GPUs. Uh, AMD and uh, Intel mm-hmm. provide integrated GPUs. AMD and Nvidia provide discrete GPUs. And pretty soon, Intel will be introducing a discrete GPU as well. Uh, to get into the discrete GPU market today uh, would be a horrendous expense, and only a it would company be. like it. Yeah, only a company like, like Intel could take that on. And mind you, that Intel is coming to it with experience. Also, they're they're not just you know suddenly waking up and saying, oh, what's this GPU thing? They've been building GPUs for quite some time. But um, to to assemble a team, these teams are huge. There's thousands of people involved mm-hmm. in designing and building a, a GPU. And to find those thousands of people as a startup, uh, not that you, a startup could even afford a thousand people. Uh would just well, be, not
0: without uh, like a serious backer like Samsung or some mega company that really yeah. wants and they would have to <laughs> have, have to really be sure they're ready to commit to twenty years because they certainly wouldn't compete with the big players. Well that's maybe right. not even in the first decade, right?
1: Yep, that's right. And in fact, uh saying Samsung is kind of an interesting thing because Samsung has done that mm-hmm. uh in the mobile space. They are going to be coming out with a GPU in the mobile space uh pretty soon.
0: Well, and you know, there's also that uh, that other a couple other players. There's Xingjia, Jia, which is really more for the Chinese defense. I don't know if you've seen them, but they yeah. I find it interesting that they are comparing a lot of their newer GPUs to Pascal graphics cards. I don't think that can be a complete coincidence to you.
1: <laughs> well, uh, they can compare it to Pascal. I don't think it does compare, but uh, they well, I mean, uh,
0: yeah, they had, what, like a 600-millimeter squared card with HBM that they said could kind of compete with the GTX 1080. So it's fair to point out that it takes a lot of extra brute force to come even close to NVIDIA's, like, like two-gen old mid-range offering.
1: That's right, that's right. But for the market they're targeting, uh, which is, as you mentioned, the military, um, they don't need to have cutting-edge, bleeding-edge, if you will, uh, technology. In fact, just the opposite, you want something that's... A, proven and reliable because it's got to run for 10 to 20 years.
0: Now, what do you think, though, about ARM entering into, well, any market, really? I mean, there's been a bunch of rumors they're working on a decent push into graphics. They made graphics before, of course, but that they might go into more powerful graphics soon. And so where do you see ARM playing in terms of that, but then also pushing into anything else they're not already in, like x86 and all of that?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, working my way backwards on the two questions, <clears throat> Sure. Uh, I, I don't see them pursuing an x86 license. Not that i, I don't even think they could get one. Uh, I don't think Intel is willing to do that, <clears throat> and AMD is not permitted to do it uh, under their licensing agreement with Intel. So, ARM is not uh, in a position to to, to field an x86 uh, processor.
0: Well, ARM... they've been trying with emulation recently, right? To uh, it hasn't gone anywhere near where I've seen people hype up its potential though.
1: Oh, well, no, no. Take a step back from that. Um, if you're talking about emulation, that's a different subject because um, there's a very, very successful emulation. And in fact, mm-hmm. uh, Qualcomm is the leader of that, which is using an ARM processor. Qualcomm is building chips that are being put into PCs uh, by Lenovo, HP, right. uh, and other. Uh, and these are, these are you know, they haven't
0: really taken hold, though, really, have they, in like, uh, laptops? I mean, I've seen them, right? I've seen them, these ARM laptops, at Best Buy. But in terms of actually competing through emulation with like Intel or AMD and laptops th- with x86 emulation, I haven't, it doesn't really seem to be there yet. Anytime they almost seem to be able to match some level of performance, it seems like Intel or AMD or both, really both come out with something that just really clobbers their ability to compete in like an x86 emulated laptop. Would you agree with that though?
1: Um, more or less, I would. Yeah. The uh, the uh, Qualcomm based systems that uh, Lenovo and HP and so forth have brought out uh, have been targeted at competing with Chrome with Chromebooks. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, and now AMD and before that Intel <clears throat> had a very strong position in Chrome. Not that Chrome was that big a market to begin with, but Chrome did well in the educational market and. Um, And that looked attractive. Uh, We've tested, in fact, I have one here, uh, the um, Qualcomm-based unit. We have a a Lenovo, um, um, a hinge one. I can't remember what they call it now. Yoga, uh, yoga, yeah. And um, we've tested that for almost two years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, as far as we can tell, we're pretty damn brutal on machines here. Is it's bulletproof. It works every app on it works. All the little mm-hmm. old funky DOS apps that I have, old tools and things okay. like that, they all ran. Uh, it's a fine machine. And it has the added uh, benefit of that built-in modem, uh, radio modem, so that you've always got a connection if you have a uh, an account. And so that means you don't have to go to Starbucks to get Wi-Fi. You can be anywhere there's uh, you know, 4G or 3G radio.
0: And do you think ARM will be able to push some kind of high-performance graphics solution out any time in the near future. There's been... I've heard multiple rumors that ARM's trying to get some kind of desktop graphics card or maybe not desktop, but... At least powerful enough to be used in laptops or something. Uh, I, I don't know if you've heard anything
1: about that, or do you have any thoughts? Uh, yeah, I have heard about that. Uh, it's it's a speculation. It's nothing coming out of ARM. <clears throat> uh, there have been people who said, "Well, why mm-hmm. couldn't you, you know, why couldn't you just scale up the Mali uh, GPU and 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 enter that market?" Right. And and arms position uh their public position when asked something like that is well it's not for us to do that we provide the ip our customers can do that if they so choose to none of their customers have chosen to do oh, that
0: Oh, i see what you're saying yeah like and they don't plan to make it as their own initiative to scale it up that high but they've said if our customers want to try we're not going to stop them
1: yeah uh, and they, you know, they don't hold the position of being the most powerful GPU in the mobile space. Uh, Imagination Technology has that position, um, and they've got direct competition from Verisilicon and others. So, they're, they're, you know, they're doing, they're doing what they have to do to hold the position that they have. I don't think they can uh, expand, and they're also getting, uh, you know lateral competition from uh, Risk Five and so forth. So, that, And Risk Five has two GPUs now being offered for it. And so Qualcomm's got its hands full just holding on to what it's got. Okay. I, I said Qualcomm. I'm sorry. I meant ARM.
0: Yeah. So that's those companies I've just mentioned. How do you see... I don't know. I'm trying to think of how to ask this question because I'm going to start going into A- Radeon versus NVIDIA now. Like, how do you see Nvidia's market position in terms of gaming desktops? I know it's a very open-ended question, but
1: <laughs> well, uh, Nvidia, of course, has been the the leader, big leader. You know, uh, seventy to eighty percent market share, depending on when and how you count. <clears throat> and they have a loyal following. They have yeah. a huge development team. And, um, you know, they they are literally state-of-the-art leading edge. And so it's going to be difficult to topple them. In fact, it's going to be impossible to topple them. But what AMD can do and is doing, uh, we measure this, uh, is that AMD has been nibbling away at uh, Mm -hmm. NVIDIA. And so they picked up a market share percentage point every quarter for the last three quarters. And um, they may do it again this first quarter of 2020 first quarter of 2020 is going to be a very peculiar quarter quarter because of the virus and everything yeah. and, and how it's disrupted the um, supply chain
0: well you know i mean uh, from what i've been told amd is really going to again assuming they can support the supply chain for such an attack they i'm told they really and i mean really in quarter 4 want to go for broke with multiple Consoles using their chips and a massive RDNA 2.0 launch on desktop. So hopefully, well, and I say that just because I like to see a more <laughs> balanced, competitive market, AMD mm-hmm. can do that. But the question I have here comes from a, a supporter, which anyone can submit reader mails if you support me on Patreon. Sam97 goes, with the biggest part of NVIDIA's revenue coming from their gaming GPUs and AMD slowly regaining market share in the space at a steady rate, at what point do you think NVIDIA will have trouble competing? Like, I think what he's yeah, what he's basically asking is, you know, like you're saying, AMD's taking a percentage here and there so pretty consistently the past year. So at what percentage market share in desktop slash laptop do you think NVIDIA starts getting into trouble?
1: Well, if I were to make that prediction, I'd get into trouble. So (laughs) I'm going to have to kind of skirt around it. But um, I can can tell you this, that um, when a company has... Uh, ridiculously dominant market share as Mm -hmm. NVIDIA has had in GPUs and as Intel has had in CPUs, all you can do is lose. It's almost impossible to increase market share once you have so much of it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, AMD has a lot of things going for them. They they have a very very loyal fan base. They they have uh, people like you, for example, who you know want to root for the underdog and you know and, and like you say get a balanced uh, playing field. My
0: laptop has Nvidia. Let's be clear. I just buy with the best <laughs> product. But yes, I do. Te- it's easier to root for AMD. I'll just say that.
1: <laughs> well, I think a lot of people like AMD, in fact, I think uh, Jensen Wong likes AMD too. <clears throat> but um, uh, AMD will, uh, as long as they don't you know, screw up, if they continue to offer really good products and to be com- competitively priced as they have been, um, then they can't help but take some market share from mm-hmm. NVIDIA. And now, having said that, let me also say that if you, if you ever underestimate NVIDIA, you will make oh, I a switch mistake. Uh, it's, it's one of the most um, nimble companies I have ever seen, ever. Um, mm-hmm. they, make, they make decisions in a day when something pops up, and then they follow through on them. They've got enormous resources, and so it, you know there's almost nothing that NVIDIA can't do. And so if, if they got confronted with something where, let's say, AMD had an amazing new product uh, that was just such a killer product that uh, people were going to buy them as fast as and AMD could build them, NVIDIA would have a counter product in six months or less. That's that's how nimble they are, but I don't. I don't. It kind of sounds like that's
0: happening. You know, I mean, uh, there's been all these rumors about what node Nvidia may use or not use. I mean, right now the current rumor is that they're uh, as expected going to use a mix of nodes, highest performance products on TSMC seven nanometer, and there's a rumor going around. Right now, which is hard to confirm because Nvidia really doesn't allow a lot of leaks to get out of their company, I gotta say. But the current rumor going around is that it's going to be basically the newest version of Samsung's ten nanometer for most of the lo- like I guess you might say high end to mid range and below uh, segments, and they're going to market it. Samsung is marketing it as eight nanometer. It seems like they made a decision at some point to just go with that to make sure they can have a constant supply and even if they can't beat RDNA 2.0 on like, let's say N7 plus, you know, not plus, but P as uniformly as they might've been able to in the past, that they're going to launch a very, very aggressive Ampere product this fall. And I don't know, I guess, what what do you think about, like, let me make this into a question. So let's say AMD does get some crazy RDNA 2.0 product out this fall. It's a complete product launch, top to bottom, all new cards, you know. Let's say they it is fifty percent more efficient than before across the board. Uh, do you think if Nvidia's top card couldn't beat AMD's top card, Nvidia would be in real trouble or not?
1: Uh, I can't imagine a world where Nvidia couldn't beat AMD's top card. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, uh, well, it's happened
0: yeah. before though. I mean, there's been multiple. Times. 20 years yes. ago. <laughs> no, no, no. The 5870 was out for six months, an undisputed leader before NVIDIA could launch the GTX 480, and the 7970, undisputed leader for a couple months, the 680 basically tied it, but it slowly pulled ahead, then they launched the Titan, you know, and and I would even argue the 4870 was basically better than anything NVIDIA had, even though technically didn't have the performance crown. I mean, that's something, you know, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't that long ago, that wasn't even a decade ago, that AMD had product launches, like the 290X as well. That was a brief win, but it was a win. So you, you don't think that could possibly happen again this year? I don't think it's as rare as people think. I just think it's been, well, look, AMD almost went out of business recently, so they have problems, yes.
1: Uh, it's not that so much. It, um, it's a matter of resource. And um, one of the ways to look at it is to think about uh, AMD is right now uh, approaching a, a $6 billion company five mm-hmm, and something. something. And NVIDIA is approaching a $9 billion company. NVIDIA is focused 100% on GPUs. AMD splits their resources right. in They're half. Right.
0: They're seen with right? Intel, which is just a juggernaut.
1: Right. So let's assume that they do a 50-50 split. That means that a $6 billion company has $3 billion of resources mm-hmm. for GPU, as opposed to NVIDIA's 8 or $9 billion. So there's a two-to-one, almost three-to-one advantage right there, and that matters. That means that there's two-to-one or three-to-one, depending on how you want to count, engineers, people worrying about these kind of problems Mm -hmm. that we're discussing right now. Uh, You know, mass counts and to AMD's great credit, and I've, I've credited them over the years about this, they squeeze the most out of silicon as any company I've ever known. And I've known them since ATI days. They've always had that that uh, concept of getting every last ounce out of the uh, silicon. But the other thing that AMD has had to do, and and they've done it effectively, I think, is they've had to pick and choose their fights.
0: And oh, one yeah, fight, especially one, recently
1: one fight that they chose not to go into, and and I think it was the correct decision, was to engage in the high end, uh, A, because it's very, very expensive to do it, and B, because it's a smaller market. Now, granted, the margins are higher and the ASPs are higher, but it is still smaller by almost an order of magnitude. So uh, they've concentrated on the mid-range and done a pretty good job there, and so it it remains to be seen whether the RDNA 2 is going to come out and be a genuine high-end product that will compete head-on with Ampere or not. And and I I don't have any crystal ball on that. I can't give you any uh, insight on that. But I will give you hints, and that is to look at the stuff that is being said about the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X and whats uh, what they're announcing. And mind you, that's – Well, they integrated. seem really impressive yeah and, and mind you, it's an integrated graphics gpu it's not a it's a standalone discrete g p u so it's got some uh bottlenecks in how how well it can perform, but nonetheless, it is coming out with state of the art features you know mm-hmm. vari- vari- variable shading ray tracing et cetera and those those are features that Nvidia had first and introduced first and gave them the lead. But now here comes AMD with renewed uh, resource. I should add, you know, they've been making money. They've been making a lot of money, and so they can make more investments. They can take a little bit more risk, and so it's well. And to be- they
0: have the benefit of like all main gaming devices. Well, not all, but I mean, you know, the consoles are. Right? Having developers have to program for your architecture for all new games that come out, no matter what their PC market share is, is a major asset that they were very shrewd to take, I think, in the PS4, Xbox One generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, let okay. me ask you this, though. So let you seem skeptical they can with a big RDNA, although it sounds like you're saying there are hints, there's something going on. How much, how damaging to NVIDIA's reputation do you think it would be if AMD did take the crown, even for, let's say, a few months this year?
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, both companies, AMD and NVIDIA, have their super loyal fans. It's a religious, political, you know, yeah, they emotional me. thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I find them amusing, but but uh, those that 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 fan base, uh no matter what either company does, the fan base is going to support them and argue about why what they've done is great and why the other company is cheating. You don't think it's a so vocal
0: far. minority, though? That is like, and, and don't get me wrong, I know that the <laughs> fanboys are out there, but I've always found, you know, and, and, and let me give you an example. I remember before the PS4, Xbox One generation, there were all these people like, oh, no matter how good the Xbox One or the PS4 is, they're going to keep the majority of their market share from last gen. And that's not really how it panned out. You know, one was perceived and launched much more effectively. And people just, you know, like me sla- snapping my fingers, I think people are much less loyal than people think. I think that's changing a little, though. I do think loyalty is becoming a bigger thing as you use the same software over and over. And that's what's changing how loyal people are making them more stuck to using the same software they're used to. Don't get me wrong, but I don't, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people buy NVIDIA just because, let's face it, you. <laughs> it's getting better. But my first desktop had an NVIDIA graphics card because I, I didn't know AMD graphics cards existed. Like, I'm being honest. Uh, yeah, like, uh, where's the marketing? And you Google NVIDIA, and I'm talking back in like 2009 or something, you Google graphics cards, what pops up? NVIDIA's website, they have this cool slick specs sheet for each graphics card. They have bar graphs that show the performance. So you're like, oh, I can afford this much. I want that one. And the bar graphs only show their graphics cards. You know, so. That's well, I that's think, marketing. Right.
1: And, uh, and, that's, and, that's, and that's a resource sink. And that's, you know, like I say, the difference in resources between the two companies uh, has been that way. So, but
0: I didn't uh, mean to cut you off, though. I think you well, no, you, you're You're not cut off. Maybe we're,
1: we've got a kind of nice uh, rambling conversation here. The only point I wanted to make, uh, kind of a counterpoint to something you said, is that uh, there's a difference uh, in philosophy and attitude between console gamers and PC gamers. And the big difference is Mm -hmm. that the console gamers may talk about the hardware, but it isn't the hardware itself that influences their buying decision. Uh, Console gamers buy the game and then the hardware to run it. And so the console gamers are are more driven by the game itself. That's one of the reasons Nintendo has remained to be so ridiculously successful is because they've got a library of games that people just love to death and they're going to play those games forever. And so when a company, uh, Microsoft or Sony for this case, gets uh, a really good game, an exclusive game, like say Halo on the Xbox, <clears throat> that is going to drive the sales for Microsoft. And as long as Microsoft's latest, greatest console brings a little oomph to the party to make Halo run well, and there's a new Halo, that's what's going to drive it. Now, the PC side is different because The PC games generally uh, don't have a bias or an advantage of one PC GPU over the other. They're pretty much evened Mm -hmm. out. DirectX takes care of that for you. Thank you very much. And so it almost doesn't matter which graphics board you put in uh, unless you want a special feature such as NVIDIA's offer with ray tracing. Now, that's going to be neutralized by the end of this year when AMD introduces their ray tracing stuff, and so then it'll be the next great thing, whatever that happens to turn out to be. But anyway, the point being is that in PC land, uh, buyers are influenced by marketing, as as you were a victim of, and uh, by and by the uh, by the by what they think the board's qualities are. And again, mm. I guess you could you could probably track that back to marketing. Whereas in the console side, it's right. by the you're
0: game. being careful to say you know thinks or perceives the values are.
1: Well, it's, we're all consumers, right? We go out and mm-hmm. buy a car, or we buy clothes, or whatever the hell it is we buy. We don't really know what's going on there. We buy a car. Who knows what's inside a car? It's a steering wheel. Okay, I like it. I'll buy it. You know, you go out and buy clothes. Is this a good knit? Mm-hmm. Is this going to last a year, five years? You don't really know. So you buy it on emotion, and you buy it on what your friends are telling you.
0: You know, I don't know. I think people are becoming more shrewd as they, as we grow up more and more used to using the internet. I agree. Marketing uh, definitely has a major effect on people's purchasing decisions, but I, and this is a little off subject. This is just kind of my perspective. I think there is a marketing bubble right now. And I suspect people think marketing's influencing people less than a lot of people seem to think it does. Like I'm not so sure I I'm just noticing like AMD is taking this market share now and I'm seeing more and more intelligent reasons, right, in Newegg reviews for why people are buying it. I think I think people are becoming smarter. I think the new generation of people as they become adults is used to being inundated with marketing since they were little and instead of being brainwashed, they're kind of becoming numb to it. I mean, we're getting a little off subject, but I don't I don't know. I I actually am not so sure. That people are going to be blown away by marketing as easily as they used to be. I, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think about that idea? <laughs> I, well,
1: I, I have two thoughts on I, that.
0: I haven't really quantified what I think, yeah. really. So it's kind of all just a concept to talk about. But
1: Well, um, you know, there's a thing called guerrilla marketing. Uh, you may know about it. And uh, oh, yeah. if marketing is successful, you don't realize you're being marketed to. Mm-hmm. That's the trick. So if you think... But
0: I think you people know, know when they are these days. Go on. Well, I'm sorry,
1: but maybe they do, and maybe they don't. But the other, the flip side of it, and this is my my wishful thinking, which might play into your uh, philosophy, is I would really, really like to see people in all categories be more discriminatory and to be more challenging of the presumptions that are given to them. That rather than just taking it at face value and saying, "Oh, there's a red one, that must be good," is that you know. Ask a question. What why is red good? You know, to be Well,
0: it's my dis- favorite color, so that's my answer.
1: <laughs> okay, well
0: <laughs> As As you can probably bi- tell by looking behind me at all the red objects in my house. We're all
1: biased in one way or another. <laughs> But it's it's called critical thinking, and and that's Mm -hmm. that's what I was trying to get to, is it used to be a subject taught in school. doesn't seem to be anymore, and the idea was to teach people to not just accept at face value what they're told, but rather to try and find the reasoning behind the presumptions that are given.
0: I don't know. I think there's – a lot of critical thinking going on, but I I don't know that I can speak too much about how much of it's from school or not. That's certainly an entirely different discussion. (laughs) But I think that you see, I just see people questioning things a lot more now. I don't know, right? Uh, That's good, that's good. Like my friends for like, I don't know, like for instance, the NVIDIA ray tracing thing. I think there were a lot of people that thought, oh, here comes NVIDIA with this marketing thing, even though almost no game is going to support ray tracing for years. And even if they do, it's going to run like absolute crap on these early cards. And what ended up happening is that's what a lot of reviewers said. There was an immense amount of pushback that this ray tracing doesn't even really work. And you saw AMD take market share. So I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure people are as easily swindled as as I think we, and maybe people used to be, but I'm just not seeing it. Then again, I'm not giving any hard numbers. So it's kind of just a, a little bit, you know, it's not like I'm saying, oh, because of this, some percentage, I can't give you any investable device, uh, advice for it, but I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure people are going to fall for it whether it comes to the consoles, graphics cards so much. I think if one product's stronger, I think they might just buy it, even though yes, there are certainly plenty of people that are just going to buy an NVIDIA forever until they die, no matter how good or bad it is. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think that's true.
0: So let me say this then. I've got a point here where we've already been talking about it. So let me jump around my script. So what do you think about the new console announcements? We don't need to talk about it too long. And frankly, there's still a lot more to learn.
1: Uh, Well, I'm impressed, quite frankly. Uh, We did a a deep dive review of of both machines and... uh, the feature set is incredible. It's mm-hmm. interesting. I mean, it's it's interesting to me, and I don't know if it is to you or your audience, but... Uh, it is to me. Yeah. Okay, well, the chip itself, the design itself... Uh, which comes from A and D for both parts, is basically exactly the same. And the interesting part is the uh, path that Microsoft took and the tweaks that they made versus the path that uh, Sony took and their mm-hmm. tweaks. So Microsoft pushed the clock in one sense, and or Sony rather pushed the clock in one sense, whereas uh, Microsoft pushed uh, shaders in another sense. And so they have an imbalance there. It's a differentiation. And if you do a paper analysis and mm-hmm. do a simple calculation and say, well, this one's going to get so many T-flops and this one, other one's going to get that many T-flops and, and there'll be a or, Yeah, Yeah, and so one has a higher number than the other, but that won't allow you to predict the actual performance.
0: That's because. what I've been telling people, too, because what I, I, I did a big video a couple of days ago where exhaustive research reaching out to as many developers as I could get a hold of. And they're saying the numbers that you're seeing on these pieces of paper is not telling you any real story here. they're performing entirely differently than I think many people expect them to. And um, that, that's That's for me is making this very exciting.
1: Yeah, and it, but it comes back, and if you're talking to developers, I mean that's that really is the magic right there. That's that's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. In that, mm-hmm. you can take two developers; they they can be developing almost identical same games, and but it's mm-hmm. just you know they did their artwork better, they found a better way to manage the geometry, they do their yeah. memory calls differently, and they're almost hardware neutral.
0: That's what that's exactly what I'm told, which is hilarious. I think people get fixated on like, well, for instance, as an example, the Xbox CPU is clocked, I think, like three, four percent faster. And it's like, yeah, but because of the way Sony's organized their co-processors, supposedly the PlayStation CPU doesn't need to be used for as many tasks. And then I could go on and on and on and listen. That's what I'm being told is that they perform pretty much the same, although obviously the PlayStation's smaller and it should be cheaper to manufacture.
1: Um, yeah, probably not by much, <clears throat> but anyway, it comes all the way back to the thing I mentioned earlier, which is uh it's the games are gonna be the decider. Mm-hmm. Not the hardware. I mean, yeah, there are going to be a certain group of people, again, the fans who will buy yeah. uh, an Xbox just because they believe in Xbox and and hope that some games come and, along. To
0: and they have it. been berating me in the comments section. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess uh, one thing I will bring up, too, about the launch that I think people are missing is one thing I found really interesting is that the Xbox and a lot of people seem to be skating over this. uh, Microsoft specifically talked about how the Xbox Series X can run four instances of Xbox One streaming, 1080p streams, if they use this APU in a cloud server. And they can, of course, give it more RAM in a server cluster for this APU. I think a lot of people are missing the fact that it has more teraflops and it's organized with an interesting memory controller. I think this is clearly a cloud streaming APU Microsoft wants to use in addition to putting it in a console. And that would explain some of the organization of its architecture.
1: Mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw that. No, I, I did, and I agree with that. Um, I think that uh, Microsoft and Sony's doing the same thing, by the way. Uh, both companies uh, are seeing the web as being the repository of games, not your system, and and that uh, you're going to be able to take your console and literally go anywhere. Uh, I don't think it's going to be too long. Before uh, consoles get radios in them, and, and and literally let you sit in the back of the car with one to play it uh, whilst you're going somewhere. <clears throat> um, the uh,
0: what do you mean by uh, that? I don't know what you mean. You they get radios in them, work in the back.
1: Well, the car. idea the idea being that is that uh, right now we have the portability of Wi-Fi, and mm-hmm. so you. You could take your console.
0: Oh, I see wire, what you're. Right, right. Oh, you say you're saying you can just beam it to your phone or something.
1: Yeah, I think I think that five G. I mean, not tomorrow, not and probably not for five years. Uh, mm-hmm. But five five G is going to become so pervasive and so ridiculously fast that you're you're going to have some way of strapping a smartphone or something onto your machine mm-hmm. so that you can get access to that network and all the stuff that's up in the cloud.
0: Yeah, you know that. that I'm glad you said that because. For now, right, I expected Google Stadia to work really well. I mean, I know PlayStation, I don't play streaming games. I like low latency, so it's always bugged me that, you know, little, that very slight millisecond that you can feel like in the delay between pressing a button and streaming the game. Um, But I know PlayStation now supposedly works. No one says it's great, but it works. And I expected Stadia to be way better, but it seems like it works worse. Would you, I don't know if you've looked into that at all. It seems like it works worse.
1: It depends on where you are. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's how close you are to the, to the best server and where we are and with the service that we have here, we can't see any difference. I mean, uh, our experience mm-hmm. with GeForce now and with Stadia mm-hmm. and so forth is it's, it's just like having a machine right next to you. So, um, now we we ran some tests. We uh, we ran the tests in uh, India, in uh, Germany, England, and Taiwan or Japan. I can't remember right now, but anyway, somewhere in Asia. And as you might expect, uh, the folks in India said, this is terrible. <laughs> and they, just, they, they just didn't have the bandwidth, right? So it, it just wasn't delivering a, a, an enjoyable experience to them. People so you
0: Germany- think it is coming, though, right? Because what I'm saying, too, is I'm skeptical that this can become a standard anytime soon. But you seem to think it can in five years.
1: Well, uh, do you use Netflix.
0: I do, but I don't need to play anything while I'm watching Netflix. It streams, and it doesn't matter how long the delay is. The delay could be 10 seconds. As long as it starts it within 10 seconds of me pressing play, I couldn't
1: care less. How do you feel about lip sync? Um,
0: it's, it's, it's all right. It, it, um, I got to be honest. It's interesting how some TVs and audio setups have major lip syncing problems <laughs> just inherently. Uh, but, I mean, it, it works, right?
1: Yeah, well, it does. And, that, and that's my point is so it works and it works, you know, maybe we can say good enough. Uh, so therefore, you're not buying DVDs anymore. And if you had a cable box, mm-hmm. maybe you let it go. Or if you had a satellite box, maybe oh, yeah. you let that they go. They make
0: me take the cable box for a deal. But I mean, I don't even have the thing plugged in. I just want the Internet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, but the point being is that, is that you have an alternate and perhaps superior delivery system now, i.e. Netflix, as mm-hmm. an example. And uh, I think it's logical and reasonable to assume that gaming will follow that path. Is that, uh, you know, be, be, being so here's have...
0: push back, if you don't mind. Uh, the reason I push back is that I feel like graphics are getting close to the uncanny valley. We're almost we're not to photorealism yet, but I could see like the pro versions of the consoles in a few years getting us almost there. Once you get to that level of graphics, we're going to keep die shrinking, using less energy, and it should make it cheaper to make consoles that can output the graphics at the Uncanny Valley level. And once you're there, it's just going to be cheaper to make these boxes. They're not that expensive, right? A console is $300. And if the latency is at all perceivably better, and it is for me, and it, I think it, I mean, literally it always will be perceivably, I, I, I think it will always be perceivably better with how much cheaper it's just going to get to make these graphics. I'm not so sure it's ever going to be worth it to beam it in, because it's like, how much are you really saving? Is it that hard to pay $200 for a console 10 years from now? I don't know that it is. I mean, I guess I, w- I don't know what you would say to that opinion.
1: Uh, well, I, I think you're uh, just skewed slightly in, in what you're looking at, and that is that uh, the console, uh, I think, is a tremendous value. I totally agree with you in there. The, the value for, for money is, is amazing. But think of the console as not being a closed environment, but rather being a terminal. And the advantage of the cloud is not the hardware that you're working with, playing with. The advantage of the cloud is the library, is that you're going to have a huge choice of games that you can rent for a little while or buy, depending upon what your preference is, uh, more so than you could or would um, uh, with hard media or even downloading something. I mean, I I remember... (laughs) We we still have some DVD games here in the closet, believe it or not. But anyway, I remember when we used to buy those damn DVD games, and there was always a question is, well, do I really want this game? Geez, if I could only try it before I buy it, and what if I don't like it? Well, now you can do that. You can snack on a game for not too much money and say, well, hey, this is pretty cool. I am going to go with this. And now you have the opportunity, the potential opportunity. It's not there yet. But the potential mm-hmm. opportunity to just, you know, go into a library and say, "I'll have one of these, one of these, one of, these, one of these. Jeez, I spent ten dollars. I didn't spend hundred and fifty dollars mm-hmm. on DVDs. right I just spent ten dollars.
0: Well, so no, but I agree with that. And I've been very outspoken that I think stadia is one of the early places it can really, really make a big splash is, let's say, you know, I'm on YouTube watching some video, an ad pops up and it's an ad for the new Assassin's Creed. And instead of saying buy now, it says try now. And I just click a button and it's just, I snap my fingers and it's, even if it's just 720p, I can try it for free. And it's like last year's game. They don't care. They're not going to make any money. I was never going to buy it, but they can stream it for free and put ads, you know, and Assassin's Creed is hard because it's usually in historical time periods. But plenty of games take place in cities and in the background, you could have real, timely ad buys popping up while you're playing the game, like, you know, on billboards in New York in a video game. Like that type of stuff, I think don't get, I think that is coming. And I think that will allow you to try things for much less money than any time before. But I, I guess I am skeptical it could ever beat what the PS5, Xbox Series X, or PC gaming can bring, because the latency is always going to be there. And once we get to graphics that people think are good enough, which frankly, I think we're almost there right now, I don't know. That's only going to make consoles cheaper, right? They don't. And when people stop being able to tell the difference between new graphics, which is already becoming a debate, I think they just become cheaper to make. And when they become cheaper to make, I'm not sure how much cheaper it is to beam it in if a device becomes so cheaply for a low latency experience. I don't. I don't know that. I. I definitely think streaming is somewhere to go. But I. I could. I think there's an argument for people saying we don't need better graphics anyways, and so it becomes cheaper.
1: <laughs> Well, I was going to push you back a little bit uh, when you sure. talked about uh, when you talk about latency. I I don't disagree with you that latency can occur if you're too far from a from a server. But uh, the other thing to think about is um, you're talking about you sound like I'm being presumption here that you sound like a, a first person shooter gamer, w- w- which
0: is All what types I types of shooters? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I, th- that's the only kind of game I want to play. But that's that's my preference. But there is another multiple other categories of games oh, yes. who don't require that level of performance.
0: And, and I agree. And I think there's a place where streaming can become a crazy low-cost option for widening how many people were never going to buy a console anyways.
1: Well, it, These are console-type games, but I'm just saying that you, you p- people who aren't at the bleeding edge of games, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, right? And, and by the way, those games are getting more and more infrequent because they're so damn expensive to build. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So, um, anyway, that category, of, which we call the casual gamer, uh, and which is the biggest market also, by the way, uh, I think those folks are going to be very well served by the cloud.
0: Oh, no, I, I entirely do agree with that. But I guess I just don't know that. I think I, I think we'll always – okay. I don't think anything is always. I'll say that. Never say <laughs> always. Never say never. Right. But, you know, let, let me bring it well, here. Never, never say should. <laughs> yeah. But I'll uh, read her mail question here. Deus Nightfire says, how has console gaming revolutionized the GPU industry as a whole? It's a pretty open-ended question, but I'm curious how you'd answer it.
1: Uh, Well, I don't know that it has, actually. Um, uh, Back in the PS4 and 3, uh, the GPU was uh, not the GPUs that we know and love today. And so they were kind of a a special case. Uh, But uh, I think the GPU technology has moved independently of the console. The, the game demand, which is what will drive what a GPU does or doesn't do, uh, is now coming from the PC. It used to be that the game developers would develop for a console first and then port to the PC uh, mm-hmm. Uh, thanks to AMD's success uh, in building consoles, that's changed, and now they, the games pretty much come out uh, at the same time, unless they're an exclusive title for a console. But I don't think that the console has driven the GPU other than uh, to try and get some of the cost out of it, which AMD has done a good job of, um, with the uh, integrated graphics. So uh, it's, it's a tough question. I'd, I'd have to think about how you would measure that. I don't know. Is this, is a sure. short answer I don't know?
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I look at that question, the, the, the real thing that I like to think of is I think sometimes console generations force devs to stop just doing brute force, like the PS 360 generation force them like finally, you know, most people back then still gamed on highly clocked dual cores. They're like, nope, now you got six threads or more. Use them. And then like the PS4 and Xbox One brought seven or eight threads, depending on which console you're talking about. And those threads were clocked really low. So it's like, you guys can't depend on this single five gigahertz core anymore. You got to make sure you actually use all of the cores. And now we're going to make fast SSDs. I think Microsoft said openly like, um, hey, games meant, uh, Microsoft Studio games meant to come out on Xbox Series X and PC at the same time, if you don't have an SSD, it's not going to boot anymore, right? Like making devs actually move forward with new technology instead of just brute force. I don't know. I think sometimes it forces out some of that, I don't want to call it laziness, but it forces them to actually make use of like a new standard that's not the bare minimum.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. And um, the uh, the SSD, by the way, is um, a big deal, in this next generation of consoles, both Sony and Microsoft's, uh, the, the games are going to be blazingly fast. You're going to be mm-hmm. you're going to be blown away by how fast they load and how fast they run when they're changing maps and things. <clears throat> you're not going to have these stupid little graphics that they put up to distract you while they're swapping out maps. Yeah. It's just going to go bang and be there. <laughs> and, the and, thing and, of like
0: <laughs> crawling under a wall between areas and like. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's I mean, it's very comical. Like I think like if I have kids, like they'll look back at old games and be like, why every 20 minutes do I have to climb a ladder <laughs> or go down a fire pole or, or something? Or watch like, a oh, they're video. loading.
1: Yeah. yeah. Or, 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 but I have to watch this video of somebody doing something. I'm just sitting here watching it.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that too. Like So many cut scenes. I mean, look, cut scenes have a place, but there are so many cut scenes that you know they just put there because they need to occupy your eyes while they load the next area.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So it's while the machine catches its breath. Well, that's going to change. And and that's mm-hmm. that was primarily due to loading time. And uh, the loading times now are going to be an order of magnitude or more faster.
0: Yeah. And, you know, another thing I heard is that like when you unload a when you would like when you install a game in the past. They had to plan for maybe they're still using hard drives. And I mean, a hard drive is physically moving a little arm around and looking at parts of the disk. So they would literally have to install the same texture file maybe 100 times so that's the, sure. the, the arm wouldn't have to move much if you're loading one part of the game. And they're like, yeah, we just we just don't need to do that anymore. And in fact, the PlayStation 5 has two hosts, so it can do double. And then it also can burst to like absurd gigabytes per second. So there's talk of just like, well, loading... But I actually heard that they, they're finding it jarring with some past gen games on the PS5 because you respawn so quickly mm-hmm. that it's like, imagine if you got shot and you were just already standing there again and then you get shot and there's no there's no break from the load screen. So that's yeah, the well, type of differences I'm hearing about.
1: Well, It's true. And um, uh, a uh, lead developer guy, I can't remember his title, but superstar guy at uh, Sony said that there were a couple of games to, on the backward compatibility issue that they actually had to slow down the machine. Yeah.
0: Right? Yeah. So it worked. <laughs> it just well, you know, to think about.
1: Microsoft, I'll tell you a little, uh, um, a little uh, anecdote. Microsoft had a similar problem. Um, when they did a generational switch uh, in the last generation Xbox, they shrunk the uh, processor uh, as a cost improvement to get the cost out of it Mm -hmm. and in the process and in doing that uh they got a faster processor
0: oh yeah yeah
1: and and they had they had to detune that because Mm -hmm. microsoft that happens with
0: consoles all the time i think you're like it's the xbox one slim like they shrunk it to 16 nanometer and uh they had some problems because the clock speed i mean you're just getting it faster right
1: yeah, but the thing is that the console uh, producers have to give a guarantee to the game developers. Yeah, one, one of the things about a console is we're giving you a stable platform that you can rely on for a minimum of five years. That thing's mm-hmm. going to be rock solid. It's not going to. We're not talking about a PC here. It's going to change every six months. You got this platform, you can rely on it, and and you know that's their guarantee. But and sometimes it has funny consequences.
0: Oh yeah, it certainly does. The clock speed thing with no shrinks I've heard actually multiple times. Currently, I am in the process of breaking down my mining rigs. It's just not profitable anymore, and I want to use some of the spare parts plus a few new ones to build my first benchmarking station. Now, what most people might not be able to guess is that my mining rigs all used Windows and ones with legitimate keys. But getting those legitimate keys was a hassle. I was forced to scour eBay and be discerning and making sure that the people selling those $10 Windows keys weren't a scam. And sometimes the keys didn't work and I had to fight for my money back. But you don't have to if you go to CDK Offers. Go to cdkoffers.com and use the promotional code BrokenSilicon to get 25% off an already cheap list price of Windows 10 Professional. Then all you do is click on your email account, go to User Center, and then My Purchase Orders to get the code. Just use this code with a normal download of Windows 10 Professional from Microsoft's website. All right, links in the description. So let me switch gears here. Brad Medlin writes in and he says, do you ever expect multi-GPU to truly return to the gaming environment? Based on recent advance with NVLink, some highly utilized workstation software is leveraging the high bandwidth bridge share resources, almost as if it were one GPU. I'm just curious if the gaming market will develop to be able to at least share the resources like VRAM anytime soon.
1: <laughs> it's, it, it's, a, it's a question that takes you into a deep dive. If you're thinking about multiple GPUs uh, in the terms of Crossfire or SLI...
0: Right. Uh, that's what uh, I'm that, thinking of.
1: Yeah, that's not coming back because the payoff for it just wasn't there. Uh, the mm-hmm. doubling of the processor did not give you doubling of performance, not even close, so it just wasn't cost-effective. But uh, the actual GPU construction itself has evolved to this concept known as chiclets, and uh, they are multiple GPUs, but they are multiple GPUs that are talking internally to each other very, very right. quickly.
0: Something Intel's working on with their Z. That's right.
1: Know, That's right. So, so an internal fabric is doing it, not going through the PCI bus or a special bus over the top, uh, as we did for SLI and Crossfire. So uh, the, the answer is complicated, but it's Yes, multiple GPUs are coming back. They're already back, but no, they're not coming back in the form of uh, Crossfire and SLI.
0: Yeah, I, I don't really see that happening either. There was a point where I had 6.950 Crossfire and there were plenty of games where it did work for a while, but what you learn is some of them had frame time issues, but you didn't notice because you were getting like you know 300 frames per second <laughs> anyways. And also... It was taking an immense amount of programming effort at AMD and NVIDIA to make those things actually work. They were having to basically fix it for every single game. And That's it, it right. sounds like it just wasn't sustainable. Yes, they were able to make a big push. And I know there was this golden age of dual GPU setups that actually, they and look, I'll be clear, they worked. Mine worked. But there is no way they could have kept up with that and kept doing refreshes. I don't really see that either. I, I do think, of course, that we'll get something similar to Zen with graphics cards, and it'll allow us to scale performance more than we otherwise could.
1: Yeah, another anecdote is about uh, four or maybe five years ago, I can't remember exactly now, uh, AMD brought out a new uh, mid-range GPU, and I forget the exact number of it, but um, it was fair to medium in its performance. And, and NVIDIA had a high-end board that was just killer. And so AMD's marketing push for a little while was, hey, look, you can buy two of our boards for yeah. less than one of theirs and theoretically get... Uh, Are you thinking of the
0: ARX 480? Because I thought that was uh, yeah. ridiculous.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, the, the bottom line was no one did it.
0: <laughs> it was, no, it was and nice it wasn't that great. It didn't really work that well. I mean, it was already over by then. I, that was pretty desperate in my opinion. I remember them showing you can do, you know, three RX 480s and be, you know, like 30% better than a 1080. And I'm like three, it takes three for you to beat one of Nvidia's cards while using double the energy. Over double the yeah,
1: energy, more than double. That was the other thing is that uh, AMD has not been as uh, power efficient as uh, Nvidia has, and so three AMD cards to one Nvidia card, you know, you need to look at your power bill.
0: Well, and then think of how expensive your motherboard and <laughs> would have yeah, to be to yeah. support. It'd be cheaper for you to just, frankly, it would probably be cheaper overall to just get an Nvidia Titan, even though that's not really about price performance. But <laughs> so, let, so let me switch gears again here. What do you think about AMD's ability to take market share from Intel over the next two years?
1: Mm, on the CPU side? Yes. Uh, they're doing it. So, uh, what I think about is they're doing it. Now, they're doing it for two reasons. And uh, the big question is which reason is going to be the sustaining reason? Reason number one is that they have mm. a damn good part. Uh, the, the Zen processor is really uh, a really good part, and the Threadripper is also. But, uh, the other reason is that Intel, as you are well aware, I'm sure, has had some production problems. <clears throat> yeah. And and there have been people who've been, you know, wanting to buy processors, couldn't get them from Intel, so went to AMD and, and when they got there, found out, hey, this is a damn good processor. How yeah. can we didn't try this before? So uh AMD is winning hearts and and wallets uh, and and getting an opportunity to show what they can do uh, in the processor. Now, the other area you have to think about is that the CPU processor market is basically three primary platforms. could be a fourth one if you want to think about it. But the three primary platforms are desktop, notebook, and data center. And the fourth one is a subset of data center, which is uh, uh, known as GPU compute, which includes uh, uh, all the AI training stuff. Uh, AMD is making great inroads in the data center. They're also making great inroads in the laptop area, and they've got a whole bunch of new laptop wins. So, uh, they're positioned to show well on market share in the CPU space. And the thing about CPUs is that OEMs like HP, Lenovo, and Dell, and so forth, when they make a commitment to a processor, yeah. they don't they don't do it willy nilly. They don't flip flop every other time. When they make a commitment, that's a long term commitment, and you really have to do something bad or piss them off to get thrown out. Well, I'm so,
0: hearing there are a lot of people who are pretty pissed off at Intel right now, and that and that's something a server contact told me is that it's that they're thinking of switching to. Epic way sooner than they thought they would, and I mean, look, there. He's like, hey, we were on Intel for you know what, fifteen, twenty years to get us to switch it back to AMD. He, what he, what he wanted to tell me is, it's like, well, look, it's also going to be just as hard to get Intel to make us switch back.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a tremendous investment to commit to a processor. Yeah, I mean the 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 supply chain, the testing that goes into it, the warranty repairs, the spares that they have to. Sell. I mean, it just and especially if you're selling product like HP and Dell do, for example, they sell a lot of product mm-hmm. to U.S. government and big corporations. Those guys just don't make fast decisions. And when they make a decision, it's good for ten years. Mm-hmm. So if 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 AMD breaks into those markets, and they mm-hmm. are. Uh, you know, they've got a good long run ahead of them.
0: Yeah. Um, what do you, I guess in terms, so in terms of markets though, um, how do you see them, like which one do you think is the hardest for them to take when it comes to there's right, there's like, there's desktop, there's the uh, semi, there's the HEDT market, which I, I'm told they've basically taken actually with Threadripper. And then there's laptop and server. Like, I think it's easy to say, right? Server is tremendously hard to take any percentage point of market share because of how entrenched it is and all the things we just discussed. But how hard do you think it will be for AMD to take? I don't know what they're at now. I think they're at 18% market share in laptop. Like, how hard do you think it will be for them to get to like 30 or 40%?
1: No, mm, well, that's a big jump. That, that hard. Is, I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, they're going to have to do a lot of things really, really right. And, uh, and, and you know, Intel is a $70 billion company. <laughs> yes. Right? You don't just brush that away. Right. You just, you know, it's not like Intel's going to go, oh, shit, game's over. AMD showed up. Well, pack up your bags, boys. Time to go home. They're not going to do that, but they've mm-hmm. got resources that you know you can't imagine, and those resources, by the way, include deep, deep, deep relationships into their customers. Uh, you know Intel has probably oh, yeah. the best forecasting system in the world because they can look through yeah. the lenses of their customers and really see what's coming up. and that gives them an insight as to what they should be building.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I think um, that's something I try to convey, too, is it's like, uh, at least the way I think about it is, I mean, Renoir from AMD looks insanely impressive, and that should get them some market share. But so much of it is just down to the logistics. And I I think people really underestimate how cheap it is for Intel to, you know, spit out these 14 nanometer chips right now, that what they're selling in the do-it-yourself market is with absurd Abs- absurd absurd margins compared to what they could charge if they really got aggressive.
1: Well, the other thing that Intel has done in the last uh, six months, maybe a year, <clears throat> is that they have exploded the SKUs. You know, they mm-hmm. came out with a, they came out with a design, and then that design plus the previous generation, they then spread out, and this is no exaggeration. They're like seventy five different products. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can find whatever your need is, you're going to find an individual Intel part for that need. Well, just being able to support that type of a catalog, that mm-hmm. alone is an enormous resource sink. AMD just doesn't have the resources to do something like that. So they have to take a part and make it bridge five or six yeah. Intel SKUs.
0: Well, it's like when people ask, you know, well, Zen 2's out. Why don't they have Zen 2 all blah, 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 blah. Why don't they have this product and this product and this product? And why are they only launching Renoir now with eight cores? Where is their 12 core one? And why don't they have this? It's like each one of these product launches takes an enormous amount of resources, just everything about it, you know, not just designing it, manufacturing it, make sure your supply chain's ready for each tier of that product. type. I don't, I don't think people understand, like, that's also why you see Radeon rebrand itself so many of its cards over and over, is because they can't afford to do that many product launches. Well, at least they didn't used to be able to. I think they're trying to now, though.
1: No, AMD is doing great. Their margins are up, which means they have more money to play with than they used to. Um, I give Lisa Sue an enormous amount of credit. Yeah. She has made some great, great decisions, and you know, and she's she's making her investments. I think in the right place. I think you know AMD is probably in the best spot it has been in maybe twenty five thirty years.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's see how this year pans out, and I think they could be better than they've ever been. There was a while where people were comparing, you know, the Zen processors and this resurgence we're seeing now to like the Athlon days. And I'm like, I think it's pretty clear this is a bigger deal than the Athlon yeah. day, guys. I mean the Athlon days were pretty brief if you think about it. And there wasn't as much of a long term there there. I I think I don't but so here let me switch gears again. So steak and chicken man writes in and he says What are your thoughts on the? I know I like his name too, on the AMD Global Foundry wafer supply agreement post Zen. If I recall correctly, Global Foundry is supplying chips well into 2023, 2024. And I find it hard to imagine 14, 12 nanometer chips still being sold then. Will AMD drop Global Foundry soon? What are your thoughts? Uh,
1: These are my thoughts. I have no inside information on this. Uh, But uh, AMD is positioning itself where it has to be at the latest, greatest node, and mm-hmm. uh, Global Foundries has declared uh, that they are not going to chase that uh, anymore. They're going to be a node behind or more. Mm-hmm. So the uh, opportunity for uh, Global Foundry with AMD is rapidly declining, subject to the agreement that AMD made with Global Foundries about four or five years ago uh, to guarantee a certain amount of, of uh, product would be bought from from them. So I think they'll run that contract out if it hasn't already run out. And then once they do, I don't think there'll be any global foundries in any AMD anything.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, you never say never. There can be select products where global foundry is the right choice. But I, I'm Tempted to agree. I think a lot of people keep thinking, you know, they're tied to Global Foundries. And I'm like, I think it's pretty clear they're hitching their coattails to TSMC and even possibly Samsung moving Mm -hmm. forward. At least until right, global foundries can prove that it can get up to the same nodes as they can. I mean,
1: it, I don't- it can't. It's already missed that train. I mean, that, that mm-hmm. the trains left the station for them because they they had committed to doing seven nanometer and then said they wouldn't. Well, seven seven nanometer now is uh, commercially available in large volume. For global foundry to get back in the race, so to speak, they've got to jump to three nanometers, and it takes. Yep almost 10 years to do that so they they're way behind the curve but their argument is yeah but the place that we are is the highest volume and that and that's outside do of you agree edge. with
0: do you think it's a good argument from them because here's something i want to throw out there is this idea of like yeah i understand that that, that this is where the bulk of the you know, sales are, and I understand that as you make these ultra mature, and I actually think their 12 nanometer FDX process is really impressive. Like, I understand that there's a lot of products you can do with this, but you understand that as TSMC gets more contracts, and they will because they're on the cutting edge, they'll get more money and they can use that money to make That's more right. capacity. And then I think they can just, you know, I mean look, are you not going to spend 50% more for a wafer at TSMC if it gives you 50% more efficiency? Are you really not going to make that choice if you're at Intel or AMD or Nvidia? I think you are, you know.
1: Yeah, but those those are the those are the leading hotshot companies. There's another 100 companies out there who don't have that. True,
0: true. Yeah, which I guess is what they're targeting now. So yeah, I guess you yeah, you think that over time, global foundries is just less and less of a, a factor, right? For AMD.
1: At the leading edge, yeah. And and AMD lives at the leading edge. So that you know, there's there's that, that's a marriage no longer made in heaven.
0: So speaking of leading edge, what do you think about the on-ramp for ray tracing and games? I mean, right now, if we're being honest, I think ray tracing is just another bolted on feature on top of rasterization. It's not this. I mean, ideally, ray tracing, you wouldn't have devs have to go around and pre-bake lighting all over in every room. You could just set a couple global global illumination source and some light bulbs, and you don't need to bother anymore. You could just make your games and not have to waste time doing that. But that takes an immense amount of resources. And I don't know, when do you think we'll get fully ray traced games? Like, how far away do you think we are?
1: Not very far. And there are are two benefits to it. you mentioned one of them. Uh, the one benefit is that it uh, s- significantly reduces the programming load for art. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other benefit, and and this is difficult to talk about because it's uh, subjective. Um, you may or may not know I've written a book about this about ray tracing, and one of the uh, aspects of it is is that you you feel it as much as you see it, and it's mm-hmm. it's hard to describe in analytical terms, but if you, it's like sound, if you've ever had an experience of saying a really good Atmos sound system, mm-hmm. you, you feel that much more than you hear it. So, uh, well, Ray once Ch- you
0: get used to it, it's hard to go back. I've got a decent exactly. sound system in my house. Yeah. And I, I say, you know, it, it makes a good, good, like really good speakers. When you're playing a PC game, it makes a difference guys.
1: It does, and and think about it, you know we used to listen to AM radio and then we listened to FM radio <laughs> and, we, and, and we and we and when we did it was fine we thought it was great thought it sounded great and so forth but every time we moved up got to the next level and then had to go back it was like oh my god we listened to that well yeah. it's the same it's the same way with ray tracing is that the effects of ray tracing in a properly crafted game and that's a big caveat I'll come back to it sure uh, will give you a sense of reality, a sense of immersion that you can't mm-hmm. put your finger on. It'll just kind of be there, but you won't be able to say why. And that's good because if you're looking at it, then you're looking at the artifacts. If you're looking at it, you're not involved in it. Mm-hmm. It's like when you're watching a movie and you say, geez, that actress has a zit. Well you've just left you've just left the story. You're mm-hmm. looking at her zit, you're not following the story. So that's what will happen in games now the problem has been and this will me about properly crafted is that the first wave of games that came out with ray tracing capability were gimmicks yeah and, and they were they were artificial in what they did
0: like in battlefield 5 having the guns reflect a bunch of light off of them i'm like you know most of these guns aren't like made out of chrome guys most of these guns don't reflect
1: light Well, that's that's one of my pet peeves. Also, Battlefield Five is that like they made a big deal about look at the reflections on this car. Yeah. Who the the hell at the end of World War Two had a clean car, right? Or clean windows or clean windows, right? And and the other thing was like the windows in Amsterdam, right? There is not a window in Amsterdam that is a smooth flat piece of glass. Uh, Yet the game in the game they're all mirrors, right? I go no, this is this is this is stupid. So that's just you know, nonsense. It was just that's poorly crafted. But every new technology was like that. The first wave of VR was like that. The first wave of stereo vision was like that. It was just that, you know, we have to learn how to use these tools. And 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 the artists will the most unsung heroes in the gaming industry are the artists. They're the ones that really make a game a game, I think. And they're gonna learn how to do this because it's gonna enhance their art and they and, and i'm telling you you're going to go and play a game and you're just going to love it and you won't know why
0: yeah and well let me say this so fatboy diesel writes in and he says do you think developers will utilize multi gpu to improve rt performance at any time i know this is another multi gpu question or and if not wh- how do you think they're going to embrace it is it just going like cuz you say it's soon but i'm told that it needs I don't know, a thousand times more performance to get to fully ray traced worlds, which I think is misleading. That's like with current architectures, I'm assuming if we built them in a different way, they could probably do it way better. But like, uh, do you see it ever involving multi GPU for like a ray tracing card or how do you think we're going to get to that level of performance so soon?
1: Well, um back in probably around 2010, I think Um, There were some interesting experiments run where two GPUs were in fact used, and one GPU was used almost as a geometry processor, and the other one was used just for ray tracing. Mm -hmm. And and that worked reasonably well, but the problem was building the game that could do the load switching, the load balancing between the geometry and the, and the rendering became such a horrendous pain in the ass, plus the fact you had the cost of two GPUs. that just wasn't mm-hmm. considered viable, but it looked good. And one one such example of it was um, Intel did this uh, even further back in like 2005, I think it was. They put 16, <laughs> 16 processors in a box to do ray tracing real time. And they did mm-hmm. ray tracing real time, but it took 16 processors. So, mm-hmm. The notion of using multiple processors to make ray tracing go faster, because ray tracing scales beautifully across processors, so you can Mm -hmm. do that, Um, but uh, expense-wise, it's not good. Now, the flip side of that is, every day almost, uh, somebody comes out with a tweak or a new algorithmic approach to ray tracing to make it more and more efficient.
0: Like there's and, this company uh, Adsure that seems to that's be able right. to get it work on uh, smartphones now in a way yeah. that's almost as impressive as on PC.
1: That, that's right, and and I was gonna I was gonna call them out as an example. There's another little company that probably no one or very few people have heard about, called uh, Silicon Silicon Arts, out of mm-hmm. Korea. And just to get a little nerdy here for a moment, uh, a GPU. Please. <laughs> a GPU is constructed with what's called SIMD, which means uh, similar instruction, multiple data. Mm-hmm. And so the idea there is you take the similar instruction is, okay, I want to do a, a function, and I want to throw a ton of goddamn data at it, so I'm going to do that function a gazillion times. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's very, very efficient, and it's a beautiful thing for geometry. Uh, the problem is, they break easily. And by what, what I mean is that if you change that instruction, you have to do a whole bunch of loading and reloading and unloading and so forth, and that disrupts your data flow, and so you get stutter and jitter and what have you. Mm. Uh, ray, ray tracing is particularly sensitive to that. Um, and if you've noticed, whenever you've looked at a ray trace picture, if you move the camera view, it goes to snow, and then it rebuilds itself. Oh, yeah. back, Right? <clears throat> so that's a disruptive thing. Well, the way you get around that is you build what's called a MIMD, multiple instruction, multiple data. That's a much much harder machine to build because that looks like a telephone network. Well, this company, mm-hmm. Silicon Arts, has done that. They have built a ray tracing engine, and in order to feed that engine, they put a MIMD processor underneath it, uh, and they made a ray tracing GPU. Now, that's that's a system that you know. I don't know if they're going to find any customers for it or not. I hope they do. Uh, but it's 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 a new approach to things, and it's incredibly powerful, incredibly fast, and it is one of these. Problem solvers. Now, I fully expect to see Nvidia and AMD mimic that in some sense. They know how to do this. It's not. It's not that it's you know a technological bewilderment to them. They certainly know how to do it. It's a matter of doing it cost effectively, and that's and that's always the trade off that we have.
0: Yeah, I gotta say, I remember Azure going in these interviews that they were going to be in a major console soon. And I remember hearing hints that Sony was considering adding some extra ray tracing chip. I was actually quite disappointed. Neither of the consoles had a extra ray tracing chip to accelerate it. I don't know that they're actually going to do ray tracing as well as they say they will. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I, like you're saying, I think it's going to take an architecture that's entirely new to like fully ray trace. But that's so that's probably like five years out, isn't it?
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, I mean, this stuff never stops evolving. Right, Mm -hmm. so I mean, I mean, ray tracing is certainly not a new thing. No, I've been talking about it since yeah, yeah, for thirty, thirty more years. Uh, So it'll be, I think, more evolutionary than revolutionary. And even if there is a revolution, and just to back off a second, uh, Asher is a total software solution, whereas Mm -hmm. this other company, Silicon Arts, is a total hardware solution. in my fantasy world, I see those two things somehow or other coming together oh, yeah. and you know, getting the best of both worlds, getting real synergy where two plus two equals four, five.
0: <clears throat> well, yeah, I, that, that, that's what I was hoping for is they would take these algorithms and the expertise AdSure has and somehow bake it into the silicon directly, yeah, which they say yeah. they're working with AMD. And if they're not, and I would assume... That Sony and Microsoft would have announced their partnership with working with Azure. So I don't, I guess that leaves Nintendo, and there's supposedly an AMD Nintendo product well, coming
1: out. Yeah, but there's another factor you need to think about, Tommy. That is that uh, Sony and Microsoft don't want to tell you everything. They want mm. to. So you think they still
0: some, could be using them?
1: I think they could be using them, and I think that you're, you might never find out. Because that's going to be their secret sauce, right? That's going to be the thing that allows them to differentiate their games. And so when you see an exclusive title come out of Sony or out of Microsoft, uh, and it's just doing something amazing, you say, how the hell do they do that? And they'll just say, oh,
0: it's our consoles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's something to watch then, huh? because they've been very vague about their ray tracing performance, but they're both talking about it. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't see it on a hardware level where that's going to come from. So, yeah, I guess guess that's something to watch. I guess that kind of gets me to a a last subject here, one of the last ones. I don't know how much time you have, but uh, VR, you've definitely written a lot about VR. I think you likened it to splitting the atom in terms of fundamental shifts. <laughs> Am I wrong? Did I read that correctly?
1: <laughs> that's, that's good. I like it. Yeah, you're, you're impressing me. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I do my research before I interview guests. Uh, where do you see VR going in the next decade, assuming we all live uh-huh. through this decade?
1: <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, um, VR's got some fantastic... Uh, features to it, some fantastic virtues to it. Um, it's definitely got a home in the scientific and industrial sector. Um, mm. are, are you familiar with a thing called a cave?
0: I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm aware of these holes in the grounds that you can walk through and <laughs> live in them.
1: <laughs> Well, uh, visualize this. Visualize a room, uh, mm-hmm. a nice size room, right? And the walls are all uh, rear projectors. So that you're in a room that that is basically a giant video screen, mm-hmm. off, off oh, all all yeah. four walls, right, and maybe the floor and ceiling as well. Sure. And and the, and these types of rooms are called caves, mm-hmm. and and the idea is that you can go into them. It's almost like the holodeck. Think about it like mm-hmm.
0: that. Uh, well, and I've seen them in uh, cloud the movies movies, right? Like. I don't know. Like I'm sure they've been in uh, multiple Black Mirrors, and uh, i there was definitely that in Cloud Atlas a Minority Report. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so the idea is you go into these things, these rooms, uh, and when I say you, we're talking about engineers and scientists now, and you basically walk into a car or you walk into an atom, a molecule of some type, and and you look around and try and figure out what are the connections and where are the joints and where are the opportunities and does this work and so forth and so on. These rooms, as you can well imagine, are very expensive. Well, a VR headset replaces that room. And mm-hmm. now you can do the same thing that you would do, in maybe right. a hundred, that's something Microsoft's
0: thousand. shown off. Yeah.
1: So, so from the scientific and 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 industrial side, VR has a has a long runway. They've got a lot of space to go, and there's a lot of demand for it. But it's it's small numbers. You're talking mm-hmm. about you know hundreds of thousands max, not millions. Mm-hmm. The consumer side, the the benefits are there, and 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 the people who uh, can tolerate VR, love it to death. Mm-hmm. The, the two problems are, people don't really like having something hanging on their face for extended periods of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in my travels around various conferences and giving lectures and so forth, and I'd, I'd, I'd be standing in front of an audience talking about it, and I'd say, okay, show of hands, everybody here who's who's tried VR, raise your hand, and I'd get maybe 20% sometimes mm-hmm. 30. And then we go up over time as you can imagine, right? So then I say, okay, now keep your hands up if you've worn a headset for more than five minutes and boom, fifty percent of the hands would disappear. <laughs> five <laughs> minutes, right? And and the and so people have tried it and said, Yeah, it's really interesting, but and then the butts is a long list. It makes me sick. I get disoriented. I don't like this thing on my face. I can't focus, blah, blah, blah. And and they're all physiological problems, by the way. Mm-hmm. And so Those problems are being whittled away a bit at a time, a bit at a time. I'm I'm sure you've heard about foveo rendering. And and yes, no? No. Okay. Well, you you actually have. uh, You're just not remembering properly. But it's basically the idea where we take the pixels that we can get and put them right in front of the center of your eye and then fade out towards the edges, which is how your eye normally sees anyway. Uh, Yeah. and that cuts down on the bandwidth quite a bit and gives you a really good center picture. And that's kind of what NVIDIA is doing. With yes, their, yes, uh, I've
0: heard of them right? working on that, yeah. All
1: right, so, so that was a, a pretty good breakthrough, but it was one of those things like every time you get an advantage, you get a disadvantage. Well, the disadvantage was for it to work, the headset had to see your eyes. Where are look. looking? Oh. Well, oh, guess of what? Of course, yeah. Guess what? Eyes are like fingerprints. Nobody has the same type. (laughs) They're they're different sizes. They're different distances. They're not particularly perfectly aligned. And so an eye tracker is a a tricky thing to build. And also, remember, you want to do this for a couple hundred bucks. right? So you have all these little niggly issues going on. and, And that's what's keeping VR from really taking off. But the biggest one, I think, is people just don't want to have this thing hanging on their head for an extended period of time.
0: Oh yeah, that's absolutely a problem. I I know it's it's to the point where I think it's called the Oculus Quest is it just has a processor in the VR unit. And so, you yeah. know, you're only playing games that look last gen, but people are liking it way more cuz they're like, I will make my graphics look horrible if it means I don't have to have a freaking cord hanging off of my head.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the Oculus Go actually. Oh, it's uh, Go. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's got a uh, Qualcomm processor in it. And Mm -hmm. and you're right, it is last gen games because uh, I have one sitting next to me actually, and I'm Mm -hmm. disappointed because I can't run the new Half Life VR game on it. Because I love Half Life.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I that's yeah, I I like Half Life a lot too. One thing I know about VR though that I'm told at least, and there have been patents filed, is that it's not going to, of course, happen at the start of the console generation because it's too expensive. They want to wait for the console to become a little cheaper and then make it as kind of a second wind rollout. It sounds like Sony's trying to make a PSVR 2 that is wireless using Wi-Fi 6 and just has a charging station. And I wonder if they can nail that, that that could finally give you some kind of ubiquity because so far it is still very niche, but I I, I hope that can work. And I definitely agree. I think uh, VR is here to stay. It's just, it's just going to be this slow climb out That's of right. being a niche yeah. product is how I see it. And I see a lot of people saying that as it's like, do you think VR will come back? I'm like, VR hasn't left. I know plenty of people who are still buying VR devices. I just don't think it's going to be mainstream for, Well, again, you know, it's a slow climb up a mountain over 10 years, probably.
1: Well, uh, it used to be that way with gamers, like PC gamers were considered oddballs, right? Mm-hmm. Well, well, now we PC gamers that we used to be oddballs. Now we're king of the hill because there's, you know, 50 bazillion of us out there and and we're spending Mm -hmm. more money on games than people are spending on movies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I always find that funny too. Like there's such outdated terms when you hear them go like, are you a gamer? Is it, that'd be like saying, do I listen to music? Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't everyone listen to music? Like, what are you talking about?
1: I like that. I'm going to use that. (laughs) Yeah. I breathe too.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. And it's like, when, I mean, and look, there's some people, I do have like one friend who I'm not sure he listens to any music and I'm like, well, there's, (laughs) there's people like that. I don't know what to tell you, but it's like, it's, everyone plays some game these days. It'd be, I don't know. It'd be so weird. I think to just miss out on it. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a great form of entertainment. And, and <laughs> given the uh, stress that we're living in now with this virus and everything, being able to lose yourself in a game is a nice way to just get away from it for a while.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what? I think, I think that just about does it. I've went through pretty much everything I had written down to talk to you about. Is there anything else you wanted to discuss or speak about going, you know, going on now in the industry in the past that you think would be interesting?
1: Uh, only I'll, I'll give you a couple of words of advice um, I, I get queried by um, Quora frequently can you answer this question type thing I don't know if you know about Quora or not but yeah. anyway so uh, two answers that I seem to have to give repeatedly obviously no one reads the old stuff is uh, A uh, I get asked when should I buy my new PC mm-hmm. and the answer, the answer is now Don't wait, because if you wait, you will wait forever. There's always going to be a better one coming. You can't time it perfectly. You can be intelligent about it. But basically, if you've got the budget, go get it. And the secondary part of that is buy as much as you possibly can, because PCs and graphics boards in particular are real value for money. And and I know that sounds like I'm I'm being a commercial for my friends at Nvidia and AMD, but it's true. You capitalist pig. I, yeah, <laughs> guilty. <laughs> uh, but seriously, um, I, it it really comes from uh, a love of graphics. And the, and the point is that uh, graphics: the more you pay, the better you get. And it is an honest to god uh, deal. I mean, you're not. There is no rip off. It's a lot no better script. than it
0: was two years ago. That's yeah. for sure.
1: Yeah and and a and a and a $500 board is genuinely twice as good as a $250 board. It really is. So my advice is if you if you've got money, go out and shop now and get the best thing you can afford. And in fact, if you if your budget's $500, spend 550.
0: Mhm. Well, I think you know, I think people are stuck in this. I'm. I'm I, maybe I should call it this. Maybe I should call it the Sandy Bridge mentality. I think there are these people that saw, well, if you bought a 2,500K, you know, whenever it was, I think in like 2010, and you got that and overclocked it. And then maybe, you know, you got, a, I don't know, an, an R9-290X. You haven't needed to upgrade for, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you've just watched people waste money. And it's like, I, I agree there was stagnation after Sandy Bridge. And you really did just need the 2500 k for a pretty startling amount of time compared to normal. But that's not how things usually work. And even though Moore's Law has slowed down, we're moving on with chiplets now and soon 3d stacking and all this other stuff. And so it's like, guys, I think you got to accept that there used to be this time period, you know, most of computer history where if you just waited two years, it was always better. And so just upgrade when you need to. And if you need to, because and it's, and it's like with this whole Zen mentality, they're like, well, wait a second. You're telling me you think Zen three is going to be, I don't know, 50% better or this much better. And I'm like, well, so should I wait for Zen three? And I'm like, I mean, unless you want to wait for Zen 4. I mean, like, what are you waiting for? I think <laughs> I think we're done, right? That's, right. We're, that's like, right. we're done with the stagnation. Intel has competition again, and I think Radeon's bringing competition. Maybe you want to wait till RDNA 2 comes out, but, you know, I got to say, the stuff that's out now isn't that bad. You can get an RX 5700 for 300 bucks, and I think it comes with a couple of the latest games. Um, it's And SSDs are like, uh, they're pretty cheap now compared to where they used yeah, to be guys. Yeah. I mean, so no, I don't know. Good, I think we're, we're out of the stagnation. Yeah. We're, so we're I, I mostly, space. I mostly agree with that. I, I, the only thing I'll say is I have people ask the question this way. They'll go, Oh, um, I'm happy with my, whatever, right. Maybe they have a Vega 64 and a 2700 uh, x eight core processor and they're like and it runs all my games maxed out should i upgrade now and i'm like well if you don't need to i'm not sure why you're asking me if you want an excuse to buy something <laughs> you'll be able to find it i mean so that's the only thing i would say it's the caveat i always give is it's like if there's no need then i don't know why you're upgrading now but if if your games aren't running above 60 if you actually are having trouble running them if you wait for zen three it's like i don't know i'm You're in Zen 4. is going to be pretty impressive. Are you sure you want to wait for Zen 4 now?
1: Well, I agree with all that. And the only other thing I would add to it is upgrade your monitor.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I think monitors have stagnated pretty hard in in recent memory.
1: I I, I should put my camera on so you can see my rig. So my gaming rig is a 49-inch monitor. I think you sent
0: me a picture of it.
1: I did, yeah, yeah. And that's my gaming rate, right? And and I, I tell you, I can get the equivalent of VR sickness with that. Because I put my face almost on the screen sometimes. And it fills my periphery up so much that if I don't pull back a little bit and slow down, I can start to feel it. So yeah. I I think I think monitors, the the, the new super high res monitors with HDR Fabulous uh, experience. Well, and they're not, they're I would not say that don't expensive.
0: overlook it, right? Don't get a 2080 Ti if you're gaming 1080p 60 from a TN panel from six no, years ago. No, no, so no, no, I, no. I agree with that sentiment. And they are starting to come down in price a little bit again. The only thing I will say is I really think these other things like micro LED and OLED and those types, like I have an OLED 120 hertz HDR screen and it is uh <laughs> it's it's a lot better than a TN panel that's oh, the one yeah, thing absolutely. i'll say is and yep. once those come to the monitor market that's going to bring a whole new level of hdr low latency mm-hmm. gaming i really that's, that's the one thing i'm saying is i think i think monitors are going to get a lot cheaper at the end of this year
1: they will, and that's the other thing I was telling you about the emotional aspect of ray tracing. Another emotional aspect is HDR. Is it again? You, oh, know, yeah. you can't you can't actually put your finger on it, but you it has to be
0: good it. HDR. There's a lot yeah. of fake HDR out. Well,
1: outlets. the content the content has to be there for it, but but when it's right, it's 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 magic.
0: Yeah, I play uh, uh, the game Sekiro, and I play it on my HDR OLED TV, and the fire. It looks absolutely insane. Like, it doesn't, it, it's actually laughable how good the fire in like a burning city in, in this, like, uh, samurai game looks compared to like the, uh, my older panels. Like, it, it looks, and that's something too, is it's like, it's worth pointing out that like this better looking monitor affects the graphics much more than a 20% stronger graphics card ever could.
1: Uh, yeah. It, it, you're talking about generational change. Yeah, that's correct.
0: Yeah. So just make sure again, if you're haggling over, oh, should I spend four hundred dollars on this graphics card that's, you know, you know, this percent better? Is it's like a better monitor? It could make a a far, far, far greater leap in how much you perceive, how good you perceive the graphics to be. Yeah, I think we did it. I think it's done. I think that was a success. <laughs> Uh, I'll say, you know, thanks for coming on so much. I, I, really enjoyed this quite a bit and I think everyone else will too. I'll put a link to who you are in the description and stuff. I guess I'll let you plug yourself one more time. Who are you? Where can people find you?
1: <laughs> um, easy to find. It's John J O N Petty, P E D D I E. Uh, you type that into Google, it'll find me and it's John Petty research. And, um, Visit our pages. We have two pages, uh, John Petty Research and um, also a thing called GFX Speak, Graphic Speak. And on both of those pages, you'll find uh, lots of free stuff, <laughs> lots of free information. Uh, we, we have subscriber pages also, but there, we put up a lot of stuff free, including all of our, um, our testing that we do. That's all available for anybody to look at.
0: Okay. Well, thanks for coming on. Um, Enjoy the pandemic. Uh, Hopefully we'll speak (laughs) again soon. And uh, yeah, have a good evening.
1: All All right, you too. Bye now. All
0: right, bye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.morslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon Die Shrink and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at one dollar, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts, and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit, and give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Bootman, Carbon Cry, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yacht, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn and Jim, Bollocks, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Al-Khawari, Frederick Lau, Prime Tech TV, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Call Marco, Phil S, Thyristor, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Chrysantine, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo Kinkilo, Fatboy Diesel, Derek Evans, Matthew McMullen, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, Scott Show. Sadler Sadler, Richter Cohagen, Alethros, Telos, Kaden Picknell, Greg T. Wondrick, Jacob Barber, Exote, Whiny Care Bear, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Ronner, Robert Ducks, Michael Costa, Allie Robertson, Gordon Lamb, Jonathan, Dreeta Foal, Evan Dingle, Nick Neasy, Dominic Dewart, Harold P. Bureau, Wayne, Sam MacArthur, James Crosta, Hector Santana, Brad Medlin, Andrew S., and Edward Huff. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.